Welcome to the Beltway Broadcast, the premier podcast for the workplace learning and talent development professionals of the Association for Talent Development's Metro DC chapter. We've got some great resources in store for you today. Hello, fellow ATDers. I'm Christina Eanes, the 2023 Vice President of Marketing and Communications. Hey, everyone. My name is Stephanie Hubka, and I am the 2023 Vice President of Membership and Outreach and a member of the Pod Squad here at the Metro DC chapter of ATD. We also have our producer, Helena Hodges, our Vice President of Finance and Operations, doing work behind the scenes for <laughs> us. So for today's episode, we have a guest, Charlene Lee. Welcome, Charlene. Thanks for having me. We are so excited. Well, I am so excited. We are all. We both are. excited. We are. (laughs) Before we get into the topic, can you share a little bit about your background with our listeners and our viewers? Sure. I am a longtime analyst, researcher, writer, author. I am the author of six books, including a New York Times bestseller called Open Leadership. And I have been writing about technology and business strategy and disruptive leadership now for over 15 years. Yeah. TED Talk, all of that amazing stuff. <laughs> so let's get into the topic of the day based on your last book, Disruption Mindset. So can you let's let's first level set by defining what is that? Well, I define the disruption mindset as a way of looking at the world. And we often see disruption as a negative thing. And so therefore we want to run away from it as soon as we see it. We don't want to be disrupted. And yet I find that some people, some leaders, some organizations run towards disruption. Mm -hmm. So what is it that allows them to do this? What is it that allows them to see disruption as an opportunity, not something to be feared, but something that you want to seek out. Mm. Interesting. And I feel like it might be helpful to to clarify, because I know in a lot of organizations, a word that we hear quite a bit is innovation. We are always striving toward innovation. Are innovation and disruption the same or are they connected in some way? I actually think that innovation is a false promise. Mm, Interesting. Mm, Yes. Because we think, oh, let's go innovate. Let's go do big, amazing, great things. And the minute it becomes hard, the minute it becomes disruptive, we go, oh, we need to stop this now. Mm. And so the false promise is like, oh, we can innovate without any pain, without any suffering, without having to disrupt anything that we do every day. And then the reality is, if you're really going to do significant, meaningful innovation that is transformative, by definition, it is going to be disruptive. Absolutely. And disruption happens, we feel disrupted when the way that we see the world, the way we relate to the world, the way that we see ourselves in the world is no longer true. And so it changes and we feel disrupted until it's come, it becomes clear again, how it's going to fit in. So we're torn apart from the ways that we were seeing the world. And we, until we can figure out what it looks like, where we're going to go, we're going to feel disrupted. Hmm. And the people with disruption mindsets that see opportunities are very comfortable with this. They know that disruption is an inevitable part of this type of innovation of change and transformation. So they prepare themselves for it and they know they can run towards it, knowing that they're going to be okay. Even though they may feel awful in the moment, they know it'll pass and it's worth it. 
And so that's why I think about innovation. We, we think we can do innovation and it'll be nice and tidy and tight with the bow. And the reality <laughs> is it's messy. It feels awful sometimes. And it's exhilarating too at the same time. Mm. So what sets those people apart that run towards that disruption? Like behaviors, uh, characteristics, you know, what makes them see things as opportunities versus negative? That's a great question. I, I think this is what my research found out because I kept coming across companies, you know, big, large organizations that, uh, again, there was a f- seminal book around this that Clay Christensen wrote uh, called The Innovator's Dilemma. And he basically mm-hmm. said large organizations, these incumbents are doomed. There's no way they can innovate because they're just comfortable. They are very happy with their existing customers. They're never going to work hard, get off of that soft landing place where they are and go do the hard work that startups and new entrants are willing to go fight and and bury that discomfort. And what I found is these companies were doing it. More and more companies were actually making this happen. I was like, what's going on here? Why is this? And they all have one major characteristic. They all had a really clear view of who their future customer is. Mm. They had done the work and said, this is what the future looks like. I have a very clear identifiable audience that I want to go after. I understand their needs. And we have a strategy of what we have to do today, the sacrifices we have to make today in order to go after them. So I literally say they put on these disruption sunglasses so they're not blinded by the beauty and the profitability of their current customers. They can look at them and look, yeah, you guys are awesome. We love you, but you're not necessarily our future customers. Mm. That lies elsewhere and we have to go and pursue them. Not that we say we don't love you. We love you, but this is where our future is going to be. And we'd nice. love to see you as part of the future, perhaps. Yeah. But future-oriented mindset, love it. Well, it you know that's it's interesting to hear you talk about that too, because I feel like that must be a challenge in itself for mm-hmm. organizations to get to. I'm curious if there are questions that you've seen organizations ask or activities that they've sort of participated in in order to figure out what that future state looks like, defining that future customer so that they understand what that vision might be. I'd imagine for a lot of groups, that's a pretty tall order and requires a a good amount of, you know, foresight, creativity, dare I say innovation perhaps is in there, but I'd imagine that can be pretty tricky for, for some teams. It can be, but the hardest part is actually overcoming the fear that I'm going to be wrong. Oh, Mm. yeah. I mean, this is a deep seated issue for us as leaders and as organizations. We don't want to be wrong. We want to be right all the time. And we not, we're not sure if this future that we see is actually going to be coming true. And if I can't predict uh, with 100% surety that that's going to be true, then I'm not going to go do that. So as a result, in order for me to be feeling successful, in order to define what good looks like, I'm only going to set goals that I know I can achieve 100%. But guess what happens? Those goals are really, in terms of stretching, just minusculely off of what you're already doing today. Yeah. That's not going to get you the kind of destructive growth that you really not want out of your all. efforts. So this, this mindset of being uncomfortable, being disruptive, going after the future means you will probably be wrong. Most likely you're going to be wrong with your first guess. 
And so I think it's less about creativity because I bet you in the heart of hearts, most people know what the market is going to look like in the future. People are, really do know their stuff. They, they can tell you, yeah, I, I think it could be one of these three possibilities, but you want me to bet on one of them? Mm-hmm. Oh no, no, no. I, I'm just going to stay here and, and serve my beautiful, profitable customers. I know how to do that. I'll hit my goal hundred percent. Why on earth? Would I take a risk mm. and go after this unknown future that may or may not happen? Huge payoff. But what if it doesn't? My career is at stake. I've got kids at home. I've, I've got a retirement to save for. I'm not taking that risk. Yeah. You go first. <laughs> so I, I, this is what I came back to over and over again. And that disruption mindset was, again, this ability to see the future. The second characteristic were these leaders who could create a movement around this. And because it takes, it's really hard. So you want to create this momentum where other people take on the mantle of leadership. Also the movement Mm. is a movement when it moves without you. It's truly going to happen when you can set the agenda, you can talk about this future, this beautiful future, and then people come to that and create their own momentum. And the third thing I think, again, that's especially important for this audience you need a great culture to carry this through. Yeah, you do. And that culture is the part that deals with the failure that says, what does failure mean? What kind of relationship do we have with failure? Is it something we sweep under the rug and we don't talk about? And we'll talk about more about the failure, but I I came across this one organization that said, we just decided not to fail anymore and we're doing great. Oh, (laughs) Yeah, I huh, love I'm that like, perspective. Okay. Huh. I, I'm like, what, what, what do you mean you don't fail anymore? And he said, well, we, we try to do like celebrate failure, fail fast, mm. fail smart. And he goes, it just still, still felt awful. I just felt, we just couldn't get rid of the stigma of failure. So we decided to never fail again. So they would set a goal, big, hairy, audacious goal and say, hey, it's such a big goal. We know we're not going to get there. <laughs> And we're going to fall short of it. And it's great because even if we only get halfway to the goal, we'll be in such a better position than where we started. Mm. The only unacceptable thing is to stay where we are. So let's go as far as we can. And then now we're at this point and this is the data point. There's no value judgment put against this. There's no stigma, but like you didn't get to the goal. Well, that wasn't the intent. The intent was to get to here, learn as much as we can. And now we have a much better and different point of view to evaluate, well, where do we go from here? Hmm. Because things look very different when you're on that path than where you started. Yeah. Yeah. So that's how, and they would catch each other. Anytime they saw each other falling into the failure trap, they were like, no, remember we don't fail (laughs) on this journey. How can you call this failure? We're going to, we're going to just keep talking about just how much further we're going on this journey. There's no failure on this journey. Again, the only failure was to not begin the journey. No. How freeing. That's genius. I love it. It sounds like a growth mindset is foundational in this. You know, it's so fundamental. We talk about abundance versus scarcity. We think Mm -hmm. about uh, growth mindsets versus closed mindsets. It, uh, It keeps coming back to the same thing over yeah. and over again. There were just certain truisms. We just call them different things. And and, and I think this, this uh, psychological safety part, mm-hmm. that is such a big part. I mean, it's the number one thing to create great cultures yes. is that if I'm worried about my job, if I'm worried about raising my hand and disagreeing with everybody, the more you can create psychological safety so people can speak their minds, bring their agency into the room, 
the better off everyone is going to be. And it starts with a leader explaining and showing and creating psychological safety for themselves Mm. to be vulnerable and to understand that being vulnerable is a strength and not a sign of weakness. That you can, and and so it it, it is one of the things I found to be most curious that, um, that the leaders who are really good at disruption are also really good at managing the contradictions of leadership. Mm. They understand that you can be vulnerable and strong, that you can create change and order at the same time. These are all things that live on the same sides of different parts of the facets of leadership. Mm-hmm. It's really complex and, uh, and in the end, deeply human mm. and based on the relationships you want to form with people. I think that's exactly it. It's that human connection. And it's about allowing people to be their human selves in the workplace. It also kind of gets me thinking about the the other side. We hope that our organizations approach psychological safety in the way that we want to see that modeled. And we want to feel as though we can bring our successes and failures equally. And all of these contribute to the lessons learned and to the successes that we have ultimately. But it's not always the case. And in some cases, you do have leaders who don't model that in some way. Have you seen teams where you may have that, you know, more of that disruptive mindset, but it starts from perhaps not the team leader or the organizational leader, but you see others on the team who model that? And is that an opportunity for people to say, this is not the culture I want, but I can contribute to building the culture that I want? Right. I I define leadership as simply a relationship between somebody who aspires to create change and people who are inspired to follow them. It's not based on a title, your position. So you can demonstrate leadership at any point Mm. simply by saying, that's great. I think that needs to change. Yeah. And and I especially love talking to people early in their careers, even in, in school, high school, college. And like, how do I be a leader? Like, you can be a leader right now, right here. Mm. You just have to find something you want to change. You could be a leader of yourself, leader of your rooming group, of your family, (laughs) of your teams, of your society, of your community organizations. There's so much work to be done. Yeah. Pick a problem, take any problem and start (laughs) making a change. I love that. So it it sounds like uh, empowering folks at the lowest levels is also extremely important. Yeah. I, I want to differentiate between empowering and agency. I, mm. When I was running my company, we had one of our values that you're empowered. Mm. And yet people kept coming up to me. It's like, well, do I have permission to do this? Can I do that? I'm like, do you see this value that we live and talk about every day? It's <laughs> called empowered. And I realized empower implies that somebody over there is going to give you power. You're going to be mm. empowered by somebody versus Agency says you always had the power. You always had the ability to see. You have the insight to apply your experience, your knowledge, your intellect, your wisdom to a situation. So bring it. Yeah. That's motivating too. And that's very different. And so there's there's no waiting. There's no permission. You you are just who you are and you have complete agency to contribute. You have a sense of ownership over the outcomes. And that is such a powerful idea because most of the times people are saying, you know, we just don't have accountability. No one's stepping up. No one's raising their hand. It's all like consensus and committees. There's no accountability. I go, you don't have an accountability problem. You have an ownership problem. Mm. 
And accountability only begins when you have ownership. And that's where agency comes in. You feel like you own the situation. You own, you're stepping into it. You just have it. Yeah. So, it'd be, it, and it's a very subtle but important distinction. Because if you tell people they're empowered, they won't believe you. If you yeah. show them how they have agency, they will absolutely come to the table every single day. Mm. I feel like I have seen that illustrated in the work that I have done time and time again. The more people feel that they have some sense of ownership Mm -hmm. over a problem, a solution, a strategy, a conversation, the more of themselves they do bring and the better the entire team is for that. Far more participation, far more ideas to talk about and to to work on to bring in. So I think that that is such an important distinction, one that we probably don't talk about enough, honestly. I'm thinking about everyone who's joined us today. And we've covered just an incredible variety of different aspects of what disruption can mean. And I'm also thinking there are probably some of us out there wondering, well, if we want to help to be that change, help to foster what disruption can work, can look like and, and, you know, how it can factor into our work. What are some of those first steps that you often see people taking or organizations taking? Are there strategies or conversations that they begin or activities that they do that can help to, you know, begin to build that culture that will ultimately really help to, uh, to lead to that mindset? Yeah. I, the, one of the, my favorite activities is to do a belief exercise because culture is just made up of your beliefs and behaviors. Yeah. If you don't like your culture, you change your beliefs. So your behaviors change or you change your behaviors and your beliefs start changing. Yeah. So it's really good to go around and do a belief audit. And this is not touching your that. values or purpose or anything no. like this. Is, this is what we actually come to work saying to ourselves and to each other yep. and ask yourselves, what beliefs no longer serve us? Yeah. You know, we need to like, you know, clean house a little bit here, do a bit of a spring cleaning. It's like, okay, we have these things that have morphed over time. I'll, I'll give you an example. One organization had this beautiful belief of respect and the founder said, you know, I, I think everybody has to respect each other because we all have so much to add, but over time it morphed into, we're going to respect each other in the, in the meeting room and we do not disagree with each other. And especially oh. if it's a superior And you just go, wait a minute, how did this come around? And it just kind of morphed over the years with a couple leaders saying, and saying, well, you know, you have to show respect, which meant you don't disagree and you have to go behind back doors. And it was Mm. just convoluted. So as an organization, the top 200 leaders got together and did this belief exercise. We need to change this before we do anything else. Because we don't fix this we will not be able to accomplish all the disruptive things we wanted to do. Mm. So they called each other whenever they saw behaviors or beliefs come up about this old version of respect and not the new one, which actually was the original one where every opinion matters. They would call each other out on it. And they would say, no, we don't do that anymore. We do this instead. Mm. So it is a, it is such a simple exercise and it is incredibly powerful to sit down as a team, put it on post-it notes. So you're just doing the open brainstorming yeah, or do it electronically with, you know, some of the whiteboards that you have available online, uh, but collect and understand and agree. These are the beliefs that we no longer hold true. 
mm-hmm. the behaviors and we're going to replace it with new beliefs that will move us forward. And anytime you see the old beliefs show up, you're going to say, no, we don't do that. We do this instead. Mm. Because if you give those old beliefs, even an inch of space to breathe, it will continue living. Yeah. Yeah. You have to yeah. stamp it all out. Oh, I love that exercise. I do too. Yes. And it's so connected to what you shared about ownership too. When everyone is part of that conversation, everyone feels as though those beliefs are reflective of something they contributed to. It's not something that was given to them or they are told this is what they have to be part of. They were part of that conversation to begin with. So I mean, just, I, I think there's such a great connection there. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I've been collecting these beliefs now for years and they're things like, and he's just like, it's, it makes you so sad to think like, how do we, why do we do this to ourselves? And we right, do it to yeah. ourselves. Like right. I don't have permission or the budget isn't there or my people aren't good enough. And like, wait, wait, what, why, where did this come from? Right. So if we start switching it and saying, oh, if we do have the budget. We have to choose how to use it strategically. Yes. We do have amazing people. Uh, we do have permission to challenge each other. We have permission to disagree. In fact, the best decisions are made when there's disagreement. Mm. And in fact, we don't even make decisions until there is disagreement. I mm. I think that's very true. The rule set. <laughs> oh, I love I it. <laughs> now, I know uh, time has flown by and people are going to want to know more. Can you share a little bit about how they can find out more, some resources before we get to those uh, <laughs> rapid fire questions? Sure. You can find me at charlenelee.com, my name. And most of my freshest content is posted on LinkedIn. So you can follow me on LinkedIn to get my latest updates. Awesome. That's fantastic. I have a feeling you'll see a few new followers after this conversation. There has just been so much to take away and so much of it is so actionable, which I think a lot of our listeners are going to be very excited about. And what I'm excited about right now is that it's not quite time to let you go just yet. We always like to wrap up our episodes with what we call our rapid fire questions. Three questions. None of them should take more than 60 seconds or so to answer. So what do you think? Are you ready for some rapid fire? Let's go for it. (laughs) All right. (laughs) First question for you today is give us one book that everyone must read and why. I'm sure we have all read it and it's worth rereading again. It's How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. (laughs) Yes. And I love this because he said basically the, the, the key is to be genuinely interested in somebody. And I can't tell you how many leaders I say, you know, you, you need to spend time to get to know people, to understand their motivations, see the whole selves and everything. They're like, we're too busy. We've got to execute. Yeah. yeah. And I'm like, you won't be able to execute unless you do that. Because yeah. you will not be able to influence them and, and be able to get the most and have that deep relationship and trust. You can only move at the speed of trust. And if that's not there, then you're going to go slow. I guarantee you spend the time and you will get so much more. Yeah. Your, you yourself as a leader will get so much more out so of the true. experience. People will do a lot more for you and with you when they feel yes. connected to you. So absolutely. Good recommendation. I really like that. If you haven't, if you have read it, I guess it's a good reread. Absolutely agree. Next question for you. What is one tool that you can't live without? It would be candidly. 
It is a (laughs) wonderful scheduling tool. I can't begin to tell you how wonderful I live with it. Uh, My, the previous company I was with, I couldn't use it. And it was, I realized, oh "Oh my goodness, my, my, my life is so different without it. Um, (laughs) So I, it it allows me to schedule meetings um, super quickly, super easily. Um, I don't need people really appreciate not having to go do the email back and forth. Uh, So and I can have all sorts of crazy meetings and sets and workflows set up with it. So absolutely love and adore Calendly. I keep trying to hack it. <laughs> we are also fans. So yes. I have to say we would throw full support behind that recommendation as well. Our last question for you today. What is the best piece of advice you've ever been given? The best course I took when I was at Harvard Business School was in my very last semester. And it was actually about career management because I I didn't know what I was going to do with my life. And the advice that I got from that class was look ahead 18 months in your career and say, where do you want to be 18 months from now? And identify the actions you want to take to be able to get you to that point 18 months from now. So you might have long-term career plans and everything. Those are all great. But I can guarantee you, I had no idea I'd be doing what I did now when I came out of business school. I'd be writing books. I mean, you have no idea. Mm -hmm. So 18 months is that really nice time period. And make sure you're doing this check-in with yourself on a regular basis and updating that 18-month forecast looking forward. Uh, I use it for myself and my career. I use it in organizations. Now I call it the six quarter walk to say, Mm. if I want to get to where I want to be six quarters from now, 18 months from now, what are each of the things I need to do by the end of each quarter to get to that point? And it was by far the best thing I could have, um, that 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 professor did for me was to think of my career in 18 month chunks on a continuous rotating basis. And now you've given that to all of us. I think there will be a lot of six quarter walks (laughs) happening. I know I am signing up for one of those walks very soon. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that was awesome. Charlene, thank you for joining us today and sharing your wisdom with our listeners and viewers. Thank you. It's been a privilege. Mm And of course, we want to thank our ATD community. But before you go, we have a message from our producer, Helena Hodges. Attend one of our upcoming programs. There are many to choose from. Simply go to dcatd.org and select Chapter Calendar to find out more. Would you like to be even more involved in our wonderful community? Go to dcatd.org and click on Volunteer to get started. 